John chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 28 through 36. All right. <clears throat> I was going to read through, but I, don't, I want to make sure we have enough time to get through this teaching, so let's just pray and jump right in. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us insight and wisdom and understanding from your Holy Spirit that we have discernment. You told us, Lord, we have an anointing from the Holy Spirit that we're able to discern truth from lies. We thank you for that, Father. Thank you, Lord. You promised in James chapter 1, if any man lacks wisdom, that we could ask you and you would give it to us with no hesitation, no reservation, no holding back. And so we pray today, even as we study this passage of Scripture, that you would impart to us understanding, insight, and wisdom that we can apply to our daily lives, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> we're in the middle of this discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees after he had healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda and the Pharisees went nuts because Jesus healed this man and told him to pick up his bed and walk on the Sabbath and they considered that a violation of Sabbath law. But Jesus is going real deep with these guys explaining to them how he and the Father are one. And so they really get upset then because they understand that Jesus is claiming to be God in the flesh, the Son of God, and they don't like that. But he begins here, Do not marvel at this, verse 28, For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Do not marvel at this dissertation. Let's read verses 24 through 27. Jesus tells them, Most assuredly, take it to the bank, Pharisees, Jewish leaders. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but is passed from death into life. Most assuredly, again, take it to the bank. I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. And so you can imagine how that upset these religious leaders who were totally resistant although they claim to be longing for, looking for, hoping for, waiting for the Messiah, when the Messiah actually shows up, they don't like him. They're intimidated by him. They're afraid they're going to lose their places of power, position, influence, and money. Some things never change, do they? He says, do not marvel at these things that I'm telling you about resurrection, about judgment, about the power that the Father has instilled me with. And he says, for the hour is coming. This is a phrase Jesus uses repeatedly in the Gospels to indicate that something he predicts will definitely play, take place at some point in time. There are those who try to, uh, you know, discredit Christ, discredit the Bible, Oh, all these things that he said were going to happen and they haven't happened yet. He hasn't come back and so forth. But Jesus says the hour is coming, indicating 
trying to find my little clip here, indicating that these things will definitely happen. Some sooner rather than later. Remember he said uh, the hour is coming and is now here. He told the woman at the well, when those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. And indeed, Jesus instituting the new covenant, we talked about that during communion, the new covenant, the new agreement between God and man, that abolished the old worship system for both the Jews in Jerusalem, uh, for the Samaritans there at Jacob's well, at um, Shechem. And so that was something that happened while Christ was still here on earth. But other things that he refers to, the hour is coming, and Peter talks about this, 2 Peter 3.8, Beloved, do not forget this one thing. This is important to know, to understand, to remember when we're looking at prophecy, the things that God has said will happen. Do not forget this one thing, says Peter. Beloved, believers, children of God, pay attention. Do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. Time is irrelevant to God. It means nothing. When Jesus says the hour is coming, that doesn't necessarily mean this hour or the next hour. It's almost 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. The hour, the hour at which God has foreordained that these things would happen. The hour is coming. That simply means it is going to happen, whether you believe it or not. What's going to happen at that hour? All who are in the graves, that would be all who have died throughout the entire course of human history up until the hour Jesus is referring to here. We sing a song sometimes, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. And that's true. Because from God's perspective, if a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years, it's only been a couple of days since Jesus left. Okay? And he rose on what day? The third day. We are now in the early stages of the third millennium or the third day. And so accounting for uh, discrepancies and variations and calendars and so forth, I believe we're right at the time when Jesus will call us home in the rapture, finish things here on this planet, which it's getting more heated up every day, isn't it? Did you hear where, um, I think it was Hezbollah, but you know, they're, they're attacking Israel from the north, Hamas from Gaza on the west. Iran is rattling their sabers. I believe it was Hezbollah that now says they are officially declaring war against us. Sounds like the mouse that roared, but you know, it can get pretty nasty still. And of course, the Iranians are threatening. Everybody's threatening everybody. Jesus said in Matthew 24, one of the signs of the last days would be wars and rumors of wars. We've got that right now, don't we? We'll see what happens. All right. All who are in their graves will hear his voice, referring to himself. What does that tell us, folks? All who are in their graves. Now, I don't think it's a problem for God, but from the human perspective, when you start thinking about the cremation and so forth, it gets a little tricky. <laughs> because back in Jesus' day, particularly 
the Jewish people definitely did not practice cremation. They did not believe in that. And, and historically, and I don't want to offend anybody, and I'm not legalistic about it, but historically, cremation has always been uh, connected to pagan societies. So it's not surprising that it's become so popular in our day and age, right? Because everything today is about money, and it's a lot easier and cheaper to cremate somebody than to actually bury them in the ground. And again, I'm not criticizing anybody. You do whatever you need to do. You do you. Um, I've asked my wife not to cremate me. I don't particularly like it, but I, she gets a little gleam in her eye when I say that. So, <laughs> I'm not fully confident that I'm going to stay intact once I go. But it, anyway, the point is, all who are in their graves, so that's all the dead, whether you're in an urn or in a crypt or in the ground or whatever it is, all who are in the graves will hear his voice. What does that tell us? The saved, of course, will hear his voice, but you know what? Who else will hear his voice? The unsaved. And for those who uh, are his own, those who are children of God, those who have been born again by the Spirit of God by putting their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will rejoice to hear that voice. But those who rejected him in this life will wish to God they could stay dead. But they won't. At least not in terms of not being cognizant, aware, awake, as I've told you many times. Eternal life has to do with living forever in the presence of God in paradise. But there's also an eternal death which is also a conscious state of existence. It won't be life. It'll be living death. What, what, is it, what do you think we might hear when Jesus says, the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice? What will that sound like? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. So there will be a shout. There'll be the voice of an archangel. There'll be the trumpet of God. We will hear those things for those of us who have already tasted physical death and have been buried or cremated or whatever. Thankfully, God can put us back together no matter how we departed. Remember when Jesus resurrected Lazarus, he stood out to, there at the opening to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth, right? We might hear something like that. Revelation 4.1. Now, the first three chapters of Revelation, which we spent two years studying the book of Revelation, the first three chapters have to do with the seven churches of Asia Minor, which were real churches in the area of Turkey. Interestingly, now Turkey is an Islamic nation as well. For centuries, it was a solid Christian nation. But those seven churches also represented seven different periods of church history. And the last church in chapter 3 is the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. You think we might be there now? I think so. If you look around at all the various churches what they're doing, what they're teaching, what they're not teaching. Laodicea. But then when you go to chapter 4, 
Most, at least Bible teachers, scholars, theologians that uh, I agree with, believe that this first verse of chapter 4 is symbolic of the, res of the rapture of the church. So after these things, after the, 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 uh, the final church on planet earth in the last days, the church of Laodicea comes into existence and comes into fruition. After these things, John says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Oh, didn't we just read that in 1 Thessalonians 4? The first voice I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after this. And from this point on in the book of Revelation, the church is no longer mentioned. Why? Because when that voice says, come up here, that means we go up there. Okay? So that's something that the dead are going to hear, as well as the living. But what will the unsaved hear? We saw, we looked at this, it was either last week or the week before. Matthew 7, 23. Then I will declare to them, those who claimed to be believers, and I've coined the term, those who identify as believers. But Jesus tells them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The unsaved, even if they claim to be saved, if they practice Whatever you practice, you get good at, right? If you practice hospitality, you will learn how to be hospitable. If you practice righteousness, you'll learn how to be righteous with God's help. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will empower you with His Holy Spirit to be a righteous person. Not perfect. Well, not going to happen in this life. But there's a difference between saying, yeah, I'm, I'm a believer but if you continually practice lawlessness with this idea, yeah, I'm saved. Once saved, always saved. I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by good works. Therefore, I can do whatever I want because I'm going to heaven. I've met people like that. Well, I hope you're right and I'm wrong, but I have a suspicion that you're wrong and I'm right. That if you practice lawlessness, Jesus says, hey, I don't know you. I'm going, to get, I'm going to get a little graphic here. If you go around sleeping with people you're not married to, that's lawlessness. It's against God's law. If you practice sleeping with people of the same gender, that's lawlessness. I'm sorry. People say when we talk like this, we're not being loving. Really, I love you enough to tell you the truth because I don't want you to go to hell. And by the way, don't get it mad at me because I didn't make the rules. I didn't create anybody. God created them. Male and female created he them. So talk to him about it. Does anybody ever counsel these people when they go in and they think they're having gender dysphoria? Why don't you talk to God and ask him who you are? Of course they don't. Because they don't know God, they don't want you to know God, and they want you to take all their expensive medications. You saw the Tucker Carlson video, right? The two, we showed it in two weeks. I think that upset some people. Well, you know what upsets me? 
mutilating people, destroying their gender, destroying their humanity, destroying their hearts and their minds. The, the, the level of people who are miserable after doing those things is very high. The suicide rate is very high among gays, lesbians, transgendered. If it's so great, then why are they all killing themselves? And why are they going around making videos talking about how they wish they'd never done it? And they keep lying anyway, just like they keep telling you, you need a shot that could kill you. Because we have more money to make here, folks. We've got a one-world government, religion, and monetary system. We've got to get going here. We've got to take over the world and control you absolutely and completely. Nobody will control me but God. including so-called believers who hate my guts because I talk like this. You won't control me either. Thank you very much. I guess once you get used to being hated, it's not that bad. And Jesus knew all about that. So, no sense going halfway, right? All right. Uh, thank all you visitors for coming today. I <laughs> probably won't see you again, but it's been nice. <laughs> okay. What will the unsaved hear? Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's not good. Matthew 25, 41, the parable of the sheep and the goats. This happens at the end of the tribulation when Jesus comes back to judge the world. He will say to those on the left, isn't it interesting, on the left hand, the ones on the right get to enter the millennial kingdom on the right. Are you following me? Are you tracking? Okay. Okay. Those on the left hand, depart. Oh, here it is again. These are the words you don't ever want to hear from Jesus, folks. Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire. Oh, the hell's not real. Hell's not real. Plus, if it is real, we're all going to go there and have a party, right? Huh. The only problem is, you're the weenie that's going to get roasted. <laughs> if that's your idea of a party, knock yourself out. I don't know if it's a laughter of agreement or a laughter of embarrassment, but I'll take it any way I can get it, I guess. <laughs> depart from me you cursed into the everlasting fire yes hell's a real place and you know some people say well it's not a literal fire it's a, it's a mental emotional spiritual fire just an inner torment and I absolutely believe that but I kind of believe it's both I believe it's torment in every sense of the word and I think there's ample scripture to back that up. 
The everlasting fire prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Why? If God's such a loving God, why does he send people to hell? He doesn't. They send themselves. You have a choice. You've got a free ticket into God's eternal kingdom. Or you can go the other route and pave your own way to eternal torment. It's your choice. God so loved the world. God, hell was created not for man, but for the devil and his angels. Remember that. All right, verse 29. All who are in their graves will hear the voice, hear his voice, and come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Both the righteous and but listen to this, both the righteous and the unrighteous will be called forth from their graves or urns, what have you, <laughs> boxes. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Then Jesus is not preaching salvation by works here, folks, but he's talking about a true conversion characterized by righteousness, like we talked about, practicing righteousness, doing what is right, not that we will be perfect in this life, but that we've made a choice, we've been a decision, made a decision. No matter how, times we fall, how many times we fall short, no matter how many times we blow it, we will always come back to God, confess our sins, repent, and stay on the right path. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. The first resurrection is the resurrection of life, an eternal life of joy, peace, and righteousness in the very presence of God. Paul writes in Romans 14.1, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's kingdom is not a physical kingdom. Although we will one day occupy it with our new, eternal, immortal, imperishable, incorruptible, glorified bodies. But it's not a matter of the temporal things of this world, the temporary things of this earth. It's not about eating and drinking, which, again, most people are very consumed with. And we do need to eat. We do need to drink. We do need physical comforts and, and so forth. But above all, God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's those who participate in the first resurrection will be those who have that blessing of being part of God's kingdom. Those who have done evil, and by the way, all human beings, as we know, are sinners, but this speaks of a conscious decision to reject that which is good. The contrast here, those who have done good the resurrection of life, those who have done evil, who have consciously chosen and decided to reject that which is good. Jesus said there's none good but God. That which is good is God and Jesus. And so those who have done evil have rejected God and his goodness and have chosen to live a selfish lifestyle focused on satisfying the desires of one's flesh. A life apart from God. And if that's what you choose in this life, that's what you will get in the life to come. Okay? You can't have it both ways. You can't die and then hear the voice of Jesus calling you back into consciousness, if you will. You can't then say, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I blew it. There's no second chances. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. It's been appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. There's no reincarnation. There's no second chances. Well, that's not fair. You know what? I've I say this all the time. 
what would be fair if God just wrote you off? Because that's what you deserve. But he doesn't. He gives you a chance. He gives you an opportunity. He gives you Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. I just had this thought. What is it about God, about Jesus, that people would say, well, that's not fair. I don't like him. Really? Why? He created the universe. He gave us everything beautiful and wonderful. He sent his only son into this world and allowed him to be abused by sinful men and die on the cross for your sins. What do you, what do you not like? What is there there that you don't like? Tell me about it. There's nothing there not to like. So if you don't like God and you don't like Jesus, then you're just indulging yourself in your own hateful, sinful human nature. There is no excuse. And I've shared my testimony before I got saved as a young boy, but then as a, as a young rock and roller, I began to follow after the Beatles, so I wanted to do what they did. I read the book by... Uh, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, Transcendental Meditation. Having grown up in the church, studied the Bible, that book did nothing for me. So then I tried out Paramahansa Yogananda, self-realization, which a lot of the celebrities, movie stars, and different ones got into back in that era. Self-realization is still around to some degree, I think. I thought it was cool because on the cover of the book, he had long curly hair. <laughs> and I read the book, and it told these stories about these Indian gurus, one of them could cause the, the aroma of flowers to emanate from his body. Another one could levitate. Another one, supposedly his body didn't decompose after he died for like years and years. But at the end of the day, that didn't do anything for me either. I mean, that's just all fluff and stuff. That's all just baloney. I didn't want to die. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to cease to exist. And the only one who promised me I could live forever was God through his son, Jesus Christ. The only one who promised he could actually have the power, the authority, and the ability to forgive me for my sins, set me free to live that good life, that righteous life, falling far short, but being thankful every day that God is gracious, he's loving, he's merciful, he's forgiving, and he will never cast me out or turn me away. All those who have done evil, purposefully, consciously choosing to live a selfish lifestyle, a life apart from God, what happened to the resurrection of condemnation? So here's the second resurrection. The first one is the resurrection unto eternal life. The second one is the resurrection of condemnation. Romans chapter 8 tells us, there is therefore now no condemnation for whom? For those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you're not in Christ Jesus, then you will be part of the resurrection of condemnation. I told you this years ago, there's a lot of prophetic symbolism and all this obsession with zombies. You know, all these zombie shows and movies and stuff. And you've actually seen the first phase with these people going around wearing masks in their cars on the street when there's nobody around, in their own house. And now, oh, in San Francisco, guess what? They just reinstated the mask mandate. Hello. Well, with all the 
feasties and stuff on the streets, maybe maybe it might be a bad idea. But could be coming soon to a city near you. We will never require them in here. Keep that in mind. We never required them before. We simply allowed them if someone chose to do so. And we were darned if we did and darned if we didn't. Some people got mad because we had them. Some people got mad because we didn't. Anyway. The second resurrection is one of condemnation. Eternally condemned to a hellish existence of eternal torment. Matthew 13, 41. Son of man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. However you want to interpret that, it doesn't sound like some place you want to go, does it? Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. In the Old Testament, believers would go to a place called Abraham's bosom. The non-believers would go to Hades or Sheol. Under the new covenant, believers immediately go into the presence of God. Their spirits do. Awaiting the reconnection with their new glorified bodies. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. The death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So those who had already gone to that holding place. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man, uh, the, the, the poor man, Lazarus, yeah, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, the place where Old Testament believers would go. It was a place of comfort and peace, again, awaiting the reconnection with their glorified bodies. The evil, the, the bad, would go to the other side. The rich man is over there. And it must be pretty hot because he's calling out to Father Abraham. It's really hot over here. I need a drink. Will you send Lazarus over to give me a drink? No, nope. sorry, can't do it. So this is real. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Again, this is the great white throne judgment. You and I are not to be judged. We will already have been judged for our rewards, not for our sin, but for the things we've done here on earth, and we will be there with Jesus, this is the judgment of the unrighteous, the unsaved, the wicked. And so they will be judged according to their works. We are judged according to the work that Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price for us. The death, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. There's an old saying, born once, die twice. Born twice, as in you must be born again. Born twice and die once. Get it? 
Born once, die twice. If you're only born physically into this world and you're never born again spiritually, you will die twice. You will die physically and then you will experience eternal death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, no one can say that God hasn't given mankind ample warning. It's all in the Bible. Well, I didn't know. Really? You didn't know? Did you have a Bible at your house? Yeah, we had a few laying around. Yeah, and there was one at the hotel there, you know. Gideon's Bible. Yeah. Never had much interest in that. Didn't want to. Well, it was there, wasn't it? I mean, we are blasted. And not just in America. It's, it's become more and more and more worldwide. And Jesus told the disciples that... At the end of the age, the gospel would be preached to the whole world. And between satellites and internet and TV and radio and on and on it goes. And the gospel is going out all over this planet. Nobody can say that God has not given ample warning. Bless you. (laughs) Verse 30. I don't think we're going to make it. Can't believe it. You can believe it. I can't believe it. Verse 30, I can of myself do nothing, Jesus says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. So, folks, we'll close with this this morning. But this is one of the mysteries of the Holy Trinity. That there actually is, from what we understand in the Scriptures, Kind of a chain of command here. The Father, and then the Son. The Son always points to the Father, gives glory to the Father. And the Holy Spirit always points to the Son and gives glory to the Son. One God, three persons. This is a mystery. I suspect we'll understand it when we see him face to face. But Jesus says, I can do nothing of myself. As I hear, I judge. So the Father speaks to the Son, and the Son carries out the Father's wishes. In fact, even now, the Bible tells us Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, interceding for us. And Jesus is just waiting for the Father to give him the word to call us home and to trigger that last seven-year period, the tribulation, when all things will be concluded and Christ will return with the saints to rule this world. As I hear, I judge. The Father speaks to the Son. The Son carries out the Father's wishes. Remember in the Garden of Eden, Father, if this possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The Father's will was carried out. Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price. On the third day, he rose from the dead. All of that was the will of the Father, which was carried out by the Son. My judgment is righteous, Jesus says. It's good. It's right. It's proper. It's appropriate. It's correct. Because I do. Why is that? Because I do not seek my own will. Folks, doing that which is right, whether you're the Son of God, which we're not, and He is, 
whoever you are, doing that which is right, being a righteous person, again, not perfect, it would be nice if we could be, but if we could be perfect, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But doing that which is right requires something called selflessness. Jesus, the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, says, because I do not seek my own will. Can you imagine? You see, folks, we probably already know this, but I will reiterate it here this morning. All sin is rooted and grounded in selfishness. If you, again, we talked about this earlier, if you sleep with someone you're not married to, well, we love each other. Actually, it's selfishness. You want self-gratification. You don't want to wait. You don't want to do it the right way. You might say, oh, we're expressing our love. No, you're expressing your lust. You're, you're, you're satisfying self. If you steal something, well, I'm poor. Really? Well, if you're a believer, you should be trusting God to provide for you. Because that's selfish. When you steal from someone, it may be helping your situation, but it's hurting theirs. It's selfishness. All these things are in the Ten Commandments. You know that. All sin is rooted and grounded in selfishness. Jesus says, I do not seek my own will. And in order to be a righteous person, it requires selflessness. But the will of the Father who sent me. I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Just as Jesus always submits to the will of the Father as children of God, that should be our desire, our purpose, our goal. How often do we fall miserably short? How often? Let's be honest. I've got a long way to go myself, I'll admit. How many decisions, how many choices, how many things that we do on a daily basis is our number one goal to submit to the will of God? Let's stand. I'm out of water again. I could use some water, guys. I've got to pray here, and I'm really dry. All right, we're going to do a closing song in a moment. Before we do that, we're going to pray. Let's bow our heads for a moment, just kind of focus on the Lord. I'm going to ask you, if you have a prayer request here this morning, raise your hand. Tons, okay. Praise God. He sees your hands. I see them, but more importantly, He sees them. And we're going to bring those before the Lord right now. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. I hope and pray that everyone has been encouraged, blessed, uplifted, and challenged. And Father, first of all, since we close with this subject of submitting ourselves to your will, of doing that which is right, pursuing a life of holiness, of righteousness, knowing that we'll never be able to do it without your help. But Lord, I pray for anyone here right now who maybe... The Holy Spirit speaking to their heart and they realize, hey, maybe I have been kind of self-focused, self-centered, selfish. Lord, it wouldn't be surprising. That is the normal human nature, our own sin nature. But we need to ask your forgiveness, Father. Please help us. Help us to be more selfless and less selfish. Lord, that we can be like you, Lord. Lord, even as you submit to the Father, we need to submit to you. 
to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to do that because we saw in your word that those who identify as believers but practice lawlessness will not be gaining admittance into your eternal kingdom. And we want to be there. We want to be a part of it. We know we're not saved by our own good works, but at least our efforts to be good are an indication that we're sincere about our desire to know you and to live for you and to follow you. So I pray for anyone right now, Lord, who's unsure of their relationship with you, that you would help them at this very moment to confess their sins before you, to repent, to make that decision, that choice, that they no longer want to pursue a life of selfishness, a life of self-gratification, and that they want to pursue a life of self-sacrifice that they might be able to take up their cross and follow Christ. Help them right now, Father, to make that decision, to turn their life over to you, to receive the forgiveness that you offer for sin, to be filled with your Holy Spirit, and to start on that pathway to eternal life in Christ. Lord, we know that you, you're the one who gives us the faith to trust in you. You give us the gift of faith, the gift of repentance. We pray for that right now for anyone here that might need that. Lord, anyone who maybe has been kind of drifting off the path, they, they know you, they love you, but they haven't really been following you lately like they should be. Help them to acknowledge that, to get back on the right path. We thank you through your God of love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Thank you, Father, for your, and for your patience, your long-suffering. Lord, perhaps when everybody else has given up on us, but you never do. We thank you for that. Lord, we lift up health issues for healing, physical healing for various afflictions, diseases, injuries. Lord, you know what's going on in the bodies of those here today or the ones that we're thinking of, our loved ones that may have health issues. Lord, we know nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is impossible with you. And Lord, there are several people I'm sure we can all think of this morning who are battling cancer and other afflictions. God, our hearts go out to them, our hearts break for them, but we know you care even more than we do. We ask you to pour out your healing upon them, Father, whether it's cancer, uh, leukemia, whatever it might be, Father, um, diabetes, heart disease, strokes. Lord, for Brother Tony, who is struggling with some this morning, we lift them all up to you. And we pray for your healing power to come upon them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we will give you all the praise and the glory. We pray for those with mental and emotional issues, Lord. That can be just as serious, if not more so. We pray for healing of hearts and minds, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, bring peace, comfort, encouragement, that you would deliver those here today who need it from uh, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, Lord, anger, bitterness, resentment, these things can really take hold of our lives and push us off in the wrong direction. Help us when we need to, to repent of any wrong attitudes that we have. Forgive us, Lord, for harboring ungodly uh, attitudes, that you'd forgive us and set us free from those emotions and feelings that bind us up. Lord, we lift up um, relationships that have gone awry, that have fallen apart, broken marriages, friendships. Lord, we need your help with those too. We pray for healing, for restoration. Help us to be instruments of your peace and your reconciliation. Help us to be the first to reach out, to make an effort, Lord, even if we're not in the wrong. Lord, we're always in the wrong in some way. And Lord, you who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Lord, you didn't deserve to die on the cross. You did it because you love us. Help us to have that same kind of self-sacrificial love where we're willing to go the extra mile and go out on the limb even when we don't perceive that we've done anything wrong. Help us to be those who would uh, instigate and institute forgiveness and reconciliation. 
And Lord, where we can't, where it just doesn't seem possible, there's no cooperation on the other side. Help us to put it in your hands, to be at peace about it, and to trust you for the outcome. Finally, we pray for economic issues that many face. Lord, we ask for your wisdom, your guidance. Help us to be good stewards over our resources. Learn how to manage what we have well. And Lord, you have promised in your word as we do that, you will increase it. Lord, we look to you as our provider. We don't look to men. Lord, we thank you that you are our loving, gracious, merciful Father who provides for your people. We pray for anyone here today struggling that you'd encourage them, comfort them, give them wisdom, and provide help through whatever means you choose to do so. And again, we will give you all the glory and the praise. And we ask now that you'd receive our offering of praise in this final song. In Jesus' name, amen.